Joining us on the WBGO Journal are three terrific actors and a part of George Street Playhouse's latest production. It's a virtual production, but it was performed in New Brunswick. And this time we have the pleasure of having Greg Cuellar, Andy Grote Lucian, and Julie Halston joining us on the WBGO Journal. Cast members of Terrence McNally's Laugh Out Loud comedy hit, It's Only a Play. And Julie, we lost Terrence McNally last year, so kind of a tribute to him to have this production done by the George Street Playhouse, right? It really is. And, you know, I was so excited also because Kevin Cahoon and I are friends and he was our director. And we also all knew Terrence. We all know Tom Curtihy, Terrence's partner uh, and husband. And so this is very moving to, to be doing this play at this time at the New Brunswick Performing Arts Center, which is spectacular. So it was, it was really a special situation all around. And this show is about a play. It's a play about a play. And when it comes to a show that maybe is not going to get the reviews it hoped to get, I heard, Julie, that you mentioned that you like catastrophes. Is the play in the play a catastrophe? Um, yes, in many ways. Um, I do have a little interesting side story because uh, it involves Nathan Lane. And Nathan Lane, of course, did the play, It's Only a Play, on Broadway. And uh, I have known Nathan Lane since the 1980s. And he was in a comedy duo called Stack and Lane. And I was in a comedy duo called Halston and Pearl. And we were on the same bill. And Nathan was the funniest person I'd ever seen in my entire life. And the audience just ate him up. And my duo, Halston and Pearl, did not get one single laugh that night. It was a disaster. It was a catastrophe. But because I'm such an extreme personality and I love extreme situations, I was hoping that we would never get a laugh because I just, I turned to my comedy partner, Pearl, Kenny Pearl, and I was like, this is fantastic. <laughs> We're a disaster. <laughs> and um, I, I, I actually talked to Nathan about that night um, recently and it was great. I learned a lot. I certainly learned what not to do, but, um, I, 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 I don't mind a disaster. I, I, I think you learn a lot from them. And Julie plays the actress Virginia in this production of It's Only a Play, and she certainly can make us laugh. We're going to talk about your crawling uh, aspects on Broadway a little bit later. But Andy Grote, Lucian, you make us laugh, too. And, you know, nominated for a Tony for your role in Tootsie, both you and Julie were part of, of Tootsie on Broadway. And I know your background, you started thinking that maybe sports was going to be something for you when you were in middle school, but then you had a change of heart. You had a kind of feeling that, well, it's a game, but that can end. Theater, I can really focus on and learn what I'm doing, but it's also fun and it's a game. So you've had quite a career. Tell us about your role here and it's only a play. 
Um, uh, well, thanks very much for that. That's uh, th that is that is true. I always I oh, and the lights went out. <laughs> A catastrophe. <laughs> there goes my career. <laughs> I, I, I love it already. And that's the, the night the lights went out in Williamstown. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, the, the, the sports metaphor is, is, is true. And one of the things um, I think about that is like, I stopped enjoying sports in my youth when it was time to just do the practice. And like, now we're just running sprints, just doing that. You know, now we just lift weights. And one of the things that I love about the theater is that the game is always afoot, you know? So um, even when you're rehearsing, it is always the game, you know? Um, and I think that's, I think that's part of it. Uh, my part in this play is, uh, is the hopeful, beleaguered um, playwright um, <laughs> who, is, who, is, who is like in love with the theater and he's, uh, but I think, I think he's sort of fallen away from it. Um, and he's in his mid career, but he's never been on Broadway. And he's written this play that he, for his best friend and his best friend um, is played by Zach Schaefer. Um, his best friend wouldn't be in the show. So it had to go forward. And he's hoping for the very, very best. He's wearing his father's tuxedo um, and really feeling very full about the potential beauties of the theater and all of the most wonderful values. Um, and it, he's absolutely in a state of romance on his opening night. Um, and uh, also just absolutely in fear of Ben Brantley and the New York Times, uh, who is looming like some sort of yeah. gigantic shadow of a wave just <laughs> you know, lurking behind the entire thing, waiting to crash on everybody. <laughs> Can't wait to... Uh to see your performance as Peter Austin in this show. Greg Quay, our play is Frank Finger. And obviously you are with two people who love to laugh and so do you. And you've had great success. You, you come from the West Coast as uh, you're an LA-based actor. Why did you want to make George Street Playhouse? This is your debut for this wonderful theater. Tell us about how exciting that was for you to perform not only with Julie and Andy, but be a part of David Saint's crew. We've become adjusted to now that we have this virtual performance. Yeah. Theater is my first home. I was in New York for six years and I actually ended up moving out to LA during the pandemic, just as a way to get a little bit of sunshine and some outdoors time while everything was getting pretty intense in New York. So I ended up moving out here and you went to Luckily, Columbia University. I went to Columbia University and um, I had been, you know, uh, treading and stuff, you know, going to all the auditions, making sure I was trying to get something. And this is my first big um, role performance in, uh, in New York. I'm, I'm just so excited to be a member of this amazing ensemble. I remember the first day that I walked in and I sat down and just seeing um, Zach and um, uh, why am I so nervous? You guys, I, I've never been on, I've never done a radio interview before, so I don't know what to say. <laughs> well, they're usually done over zoom. <laughs> yeah. I mean, apparently, right. 
Look, I'm I'm among uh, among amazing amazing actors that really inspired me to bring the best that I could to the table and um it was a very very interesting thing I think for all of us in that we were working on uh Terence McNally's play which is very exposition heavy on a visual medium and trying to figure out how the jokes were going to land without having a preview audience sort of really living in this bubble this sort of comic vacuum and relying on each other so we had to build so much trust we had to build so much community and um, being earlier in my career than a lot of the other folks in the cast I just felt so welcomed and that my energy was appreciated and that I was getting lots of yeses and a lot of great notes I remember one day Julie um, Julie what did she say uh-oh she had you were talking i remember one day about about contrast and i remember how how much that stuck with me me and andy were sitting in the corner just laughing as you you had looked at us and you said contrast and then you went on and we're playing with all of these different volumes you know like highs and lows in the in the language and everything and bringing the piece to life in that way. And I'm just, I'm finding these little pieces of advice and, and learning so much along the way. As Andy said, it's all, it's all a game. The game is afoot every time you run into the, into the rehearsal room. And so was it any easier because it's a play about a play for you? Was it any easier? Um, yes and no, I would say. I think part of it is that I, I personally was very much looking for how to bring um, such a large character to life in a way that would still register on camera. I think that was like one of my big concerns. And I remember early on, Kevin told me to stop worrying about the camera and to just play the character as large as he is. I mean, he's a bit of an egotist. He's a bit of a narcissist. He's this young kid who found a lot of success early on, has not been told no quite a lot. And so he just believes that he can sort of run wild with every sort of impulse that he has. And I think the events of the night in the play, you're starting to see the cracks of of that unchecked ego start, start to break, yeah. You talked about director Kevin Cahoon and Julie, you mentioned right off the bat that you have worked with him and are friends with him. So obviously that trust that Greg is talking about was there for you from the start. How much fun has this been for you? Oh my gosh. Um, well, you know, um, because I'm old, I know no. everyone. <laughs> <laughs> she always does this. I do. I always say it. I, what I say all the time, Doug, is that I actually died eight years ago and that what you're seeing is a hologram. Um, but, uh, but I do know a lot of people in the business because I have been a while, around a while. But I, I, Kevin is a particularly dear, dear friend of mine. We have circled around each other for a number of years. We know a lot of the same people and we've always wanted to work together so this was a great opportunity to do this and it was so much fun and you know tootsie was a very 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 special situation for me and andy knows this 
all too well is that in 2018, I became a widow. And in 2019, I got Tootsie. We went to Chicago. We went to Broadway. It saved my life. And these people who were in Tootsie really are now part of like my DNA. And so to know that Andy was going to be in the show, I was just you know, I have to do this. I, I didn't really care where we were going to do it. I, I didn't care if it was in, you know, Mrs. Smith's backyard and, you know, wherever. Um, so I was just delighted when we found out that it was part of the George Street Playhouse. I've known David Saint. I know the great reputation they have. So I knew we were in a really good situation, that we would be treated well, that... Uh, it was gonna turn out, I think, I mean, I, I don't know exactly because I haven't seen it yet, but I, I She's think- She's phenomenal. Oh, well- She always is, no, well, no surprise, Andy right? too. Um, but now that's I, a surprise. No, uh, I'm just kidding, Andy. Yeah, kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I have um, to try to make somebody laugh here, right? You're all yeah, comedians. Yeah. I don't here. know, um, but I just, I had confidence in the whole situation, so. Oh yes, and also to that, to that tune as well. Um, during this time, you know, it's like we did have to perform it virtually um, uh, without an audience, it, but all of, the, all of the precautions were taken, all of the masks were worn. Um, we were staying in a hotel, but we were quarantined. We had all of our meals delivered. And, um, and, and, and actually those kinds of precautions like actually provide the safe space so we can make the art that is still uh, as vital and valuable as as we would all hope to make. So um, again, thanks to George Street Playhouse for all of those things. I want to get to your whole fiasco theater being a you know, prominent member of the fiasco theater with you, because I think your background is, is fascinating and how you keep this, uh, this theater going with great uh, actors who you've gone to school with at Brown University and things like that. It's, I think it's a wonderful story. But before we do that, I, I just wanted to go back and say, not only that, Julie, you lost your husband, it's somebody that people know in this area, obviously, because not only did your husband, Ralph Howard, work for 1010 Wins, but he also worked on Sirius with the Howard Stern show. So it just shows, first of all, that you're such a pro, right? After, after a very tough loss, you're able to come back and still make us all laugh. It's inside you. What, what makes humor? What is humor all about to you? Well... This is a big discussion, Doug. <laughs> this could be an academic cause. Um, but, uh, you know, frequently people talk about you humor coming from pain. You know, uh, many comics talk about having pain in their lives and they deflected it through humor. Uh, that is one school of thought. I certainly understand it. Um, and, and I do think there's a lot of truth to that. But for me, I also understand um, that it's, a, it's, a, it's really a very big discipline and it's almost like a musical score. I, I, don't, um, I don't like to get precious about comedy and I certainly don't like to sit there and analyze, well, why was that funny or whatever? I'm pretty... I'm pretty much a, a, a vaudevillian, you know, it's like, make a funny face, they're gonna laugh, get off. You know, I'm, I'm not, I, I just don't like to be precious about things like that. But I do, I do know 
after doing lots of stand-up and lots of one-woman shows and working with great playwrights like Charles Bush, that comedy does require, I think, three really strong elements. Confidence, clarity, and contrast. I call them the three C's. And, And it really is true. If you are unconfident, the audience can tell right away and they will leave your train. So you must be confident when you're doing comedy and it's important to to be very clear. It's really important to have clarity. That's why I think very trained actors who have great uh, speech and and, and a real um, command, there's another C word, command, are very good at comedy because we have to hear it. We actually have to hear it to in, in order to laugh. And then there's that wonderful contrast idea that, you know, um, it's always funny to see, you know, a very high-toned lady, for example, doing something very low rent. You know, it's just, it makes, it, it's a contrast. It makes you laugh. So, okay, enough. I've talked too much. No, um, come on, no, and this is it. I mean, these are the little it, nuggets that I was that I was paying attention to. I was keeping my ears up the whole. Yeah. And and when and when Julie talks about like the musical score of it, I mean, when you like to watch her performance, there's physically it's intensely musical, but also if you just listen to it, it's an operetta. It's just all over the place. It's so wonderful to listen to. You didn't really get uh, to sing an operetta, Andy, when they created a song for you uh, on Broadway, but uh, you got a song written for you that you weren't aware, and you thought maybe it was to get you off the production. Can you tell us about uh, <laughs> tell us about that incident? And uh, being in a musical for you was was obviously an experience. Well, I, I, I had never done a, a big Broadway musical before and I got myself into this thing and it was, and it was great. And I was very, very nervous, but like mostly my, my part was to sit there and tell some jokes. And I was like, oh, these are funny jokes and uh, this is pretty fun. I think I like this just so long as I don't have to sing because I'm surrounded by all these people who are just geniuses and they're just, they're so toned and talented and wonderful. Um, and uh, we'd done all of these workshops um, before we went into production <clears throat> and I just had like one little bit that I had to say. And I was like, that's fine. It's a great way to just put my toe in the water of Broadway. And then we were doing uh, one of the workshops and I got a message from the stage manager that was like, Hey Andy, just check out the Dropbox. There's a new song in there for you. And I was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. And I looked at it and I was like, it's the top of act two. <laughs> uh, you kind of <laughs> thought it was a pink slip, didn't you? I did because I was like, "This is how. This is how. This is how they do it. They're just gonna. They're gonna give me something that they know that I can't do." And then I had to go in. I was just telling somebody about this the other day. I had to go in and learn my song in front of the entire ensemble, who is made up of like they are assassins or superheroes. They're so talented. They can sing. They dance. They act. I'm, and you know, they're the entire show. And I had to go in, and the music director, who's also a genius, like had to, like ding, ding, bong, bong. you know for my song where i had like a lot of cuss words and like it's not even a hard song to sing it's basically just talk singing 
Um, but I was so, so nervous. Um, uh, but, you know, fortunately, I, I got some positive feedback. And that's it. That's my career. I, I knew I should have talked <laughs> we, we started this oh talking about having, you know, having catastrophes. And Andy just wants the theme going here. <laughs> Greg, when, when we talk about, you know, the, the ability to change up onto a, a different kind of medium going from on stage to a, to a filming, how do you want the audience to receive this kind of show? Because, you know, they feed off other people in the audience. Oh, I, I, oh that, that was funny. Or they see something, you know, as they look. How does the audience grab It's Only a Play from the George Street Playhouse? Well, I guess we're going to find out now that we're, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think we're in a really, really interesting new time in regards to how we're producing theater, particularly with what happened with the pandemic and, and figuring out what it's like to bring something like this to, to film and, and to not have the audience, which is such a vital part of the theater experience especially for the artists on stage. I mean, so much of the work is for the audience and we figure out the jokes from the audience. And so I think what I, what I want and what I would, what I'm, I'm bringing and I'm, I'm, I'm sort of watching people as, as I've had a couple screenings at my place, just like, you know, staring at people, seeing if the jokes are landing. I just want people to enjoy it. I want people to, to listen to the language, to, to enjoy these incredible performances across the board from everyone. I mean, everyone is bringing their A-game to this. Greg, when was it? Was it at Columbia? Was it before that that you said, you know what? I got the goods. Uh, I can do this. I think that was actually quite recently, to be hmm. perfectly honest. I think there's a lot of pressure in the industry and New York is a very hard city to, to start out in. You have to have real determination and you have to have a real belief in yourself. Um, but it got to a point where I stopped caring about anything but making sure that I was delivering what felt like an honest performance to me and what felt like um, what I've, what I've been calling recently, like knowing my assignment, you know, like making sure that I'm understanding what the character needs as opposed to what I believe that the character needs really doing the work and going through. And then as Julie said, absolutely forgetting it, throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. What an amazing experience to work with two people like Julie and Andy for you. And so I think those nerves can all go away now. They've accepted you as part of this cast. You know you have the goods now. You didn't know before, now you do. We're speaking with Greg Cuellar, Andy Grote, Lucian, and Julie Halston, stars of It's Only a Play from the George Street Playhouse. Now that the, the lights are back on, Andy, and you don't have to perform the song, we won't have you do that. But we do want to say that it was a success. I mean, Tony nomination for, for everything that you did. So you are able to adapt. And that is part of being an actor, right? That is. That is. Um, you know, and I guess that's, that, and that's part of the thing is you just have to, um, what I always say is like a lot of friends will say, um, oh God, uh, I hope I don't screw this up or I can't believe they cast me or all of these various insecurity things that, actors walk around with and you know and everybody does too because of course the the world is a stage um 
And the thing is, is that when you are doing it, there is no one else who is doing it. We are the only ones that are in this interview. You know, I'm the only one singing that song. Um, yes, there's always the possibility that it could belong to somebody else, but it's, it's, just, it's just you. Um, and so like Greg was saying, um, you have to find for yourself what it means to do your assignment, how you find your pleasure, how you find your rigor for yourself, and then how, and then really how you do forget about that and enjoy your space and the space that you take up and uh, the gifts that you have to offer. Julie, and I say this with all due respect, you've played many roles and played them so well. Four Drama Desk nominations, two Outer Critics nominations. The list goes on of all the awards that you have won. But loser, Doug. I'm a loser. No, I you are not. Lose to everyone. Don't you dare say that. <laughs> but, but you're playing an actress in this. So yeah. did you take any other role or any real actress and put it into Virginia? Actually... You know, um, I, I have to just get rid of this cat right now. Right. So, hello, say hello, Daisy. Hi, um, Daisy. I learned so much from Charles Bush. I just want to go on record as saying that. And so many of the characters that I created with Charles Bush as his co-star were, you know, very, very theatrical, you know. And Charles's his whole palette he is obsessed with older actresses, particularly Norma Shear and Garbo and, um, oh goodness. Well, all the greats, Betty Davis, Joan Crawford. Uh, and I was always sort of the Eve Arden role in the Charles Bush plays, but he would give me a lot to play with. And I think those roles helped me with Virginia, uh, it was really Charles who would say to me, you can afford to go bigger, you know, uh, or, or you can afford to, to find more theatricality. And, you know, actresses are a particular breed of, of person. They, um, you know, I know they can be objects of derision, they can be objects of laughter, uh, but you know, there's a wonderful speech at the end of the play where you realize Virginia Noyes loves being in the theater for the right reasons. She loves being with this community. She loves being able to communicate something to an audience and as silly as we may find her with her theatricality and her, her um, substance abuse, I'll just put it that way. Um, she, she's really, you know, she's in it to win it for the right reasons in many ways. And I think I learned a lot of that from the characters I played in Charles Bush's plays uh, because they were highly theatrical and full of drama and um, and pathos. And drama and pathos is, is quite a combination. So I, I, I loved Virginia Noyes, I loved playing her. She, um, 
I identified with her really. Um, you know, I, I, she was glamorous. She's been a little abused by the industry, uh, but she came back and she loves her fellow performers and she's in it for the right reasons. She's indeed a fighter. Yes. <laughs> well, that's one way of putting it. Yes. Andy, I wanted you to just briefly touch upon, in life, we don't always get to say to our college roommates or college friends, hey, let's do something together and make it work and make it really fun and really, you know, do our passion together. And you do that with the Fiasco Theater Company. Can you tell us a little bit about that? That is a wonderful, that's a wonderful introduction and frame for really how Fiasco came to be. Um, you know, so uh, uh, we all went to Brown University, Trinity Rep um, Conservatory in Providence, Rhode Island. And when we graduated, everybody moved to New York City. And of course, you're just cast to the four winds and everybody's pulled into these different things and lives change and... But when you're in drama school, you know, we spent three years training together, um, all speaking the same vocabulary and um, learning about aesthetics and uh, all these different lessons about art and life and, you know, how to make theater. And then you don't get to do them with one another. Um, so we had this, so, so the artistic directors had this idea that we'll come together and we'll we're, we're going to do a production of Cymbeline and we're just going to do it, you know, in the evenings after work. Um, but we'll at least get to do what we had uh, been trained for and what we all sort of came of age in our artistic imaginations. And so it was this wonderful thing. Um, but it took four years for us to get together, you know, and also that's a long time to be away from people. So when you come back, it's like, well, what is this going to be like? Do we still believe in those things? And it was, you know, it's kind of like coming out of the pandemic and doing a show. It's like, will it be, will we remember? Will we, will it still work? Um, and it just, it came together and we had so, so much fun. And fortunately that fire was sort of caught um, at the time. And we've been able to, uh, continue it. And now Fiasco has been around for 10 years. Um, we're currently talking about what our, what our next shows are going to be as we too emerge from the pandemic. And also I will say that like through the pandemic, it's been my lifeline um, because we've been like the majority of my work and a lot of our work has been virtual this year. And so Fiasco, thankfully, we've, we've been workshopping all of these plays throughout the year. Um, and there's, there's nothing you know, if you talk, you, Julie can talk about Charles Bush, um, but like, there's nothing like having an artistic home and Fiasco will always be that for me. And hopefully Fiasco can bring a show out to George Street Playhouse so we can share with, uh, with your audiences out there. That would be fantastic. And, you know, I've heard you talk about the, the theater company and, and what I love is the fact that when you did Cymbeline, you thought it was a disaster at first, keeping with our theme here. So you thought about that, but you you got it all going eventually. So that is that is great. Greg, I wanted to follow up on what he had mentioned. We have about five minutes left here. Coming out of the pandemic for you, uh, how did you get through the pandemic and how great is it to be working and, and eventually knowing that, you know, 
George Street Playhouse and other theater shops are going to be opening up eventually to the public again. Yeah. We all came in a little unsure, I think, of what it was going to be like to start rehearsing again, to get on our feet. Do we still have it? Do I still know what I'm doing? And on top of that, socializing and, and being in a room with people again and being around individuals without masks, there was a lot of sort of this, this gentle dance that was going on with people of like figuring out when we could put masks on and when we couldn't. And, you know, we also had our wonderful crew there who was making sure that we didn't have our masks off, like when we were in the hall or anything, but it was, it was a real dipping of our toes back into what the industry is and what the work is. And I think for all of us, it was a, it was a way to get back to, to what we were, what we're meant to be doing again. It's only a play uh, runs through July 4th. So celebration afterwards, even with, uh, with the 4th of July holiday after this play, but, uh, uh, Knowing the great talent that David Saint brings into the George Street Playhouse each and every year, and Kevin Kahuna is the director of It's Only a Play, a tribute really to Terrence McNally. What a pleasure it is to have Julie Halston, Andy Groth Lucian, and Greg Quayar joining us on the WBGO Journal. Can't wait to see it, and congrats in advance on a terrific production and tribute to the late Terrence McNally. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Doug. Thank you so much. This was a pleasure. This was.